Welcome to Talk That Talk, where we have the unfiltered, unscripted, uncomfortable conversations about band, HBCU band culture, music, education, and more. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and also find us on all social media networks at Real Talk That Talk. And now, let's start the show. So today is a super special day. Um, we have a special guest with a special guest with us who is no stranger to the show, obviously, but uh, he is also uh, my former director uh, at Norfolk State University. Uh, and I think this is like really good coming off the heels of what happened with uh, the Spartan Legion and the Rose Bowl. But he has his own thing that he is doing as well. Uh, he has a new book out and we want to not only make sure that we show support for the book, but we also want to give him the opportunity to come in and talk about the book. And then uh, we're going to ask as many questions as we possibly can. Uh, that's going to allow for his time. Uh, so what I'm going to do early, I'm going to do this super, super early. You know, I only do this on special occasions. I'm going to open up the room early uh, so that, you know, other people on the outside can be able to come in and get their chances to ask whatever questions they want to ask. But before we do that, let's go ahead and bring them in. Uh, Dr. O'Neill Sanford. Let's welcome Dr. Sanford to the panel. Good afternoon, everybody. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Yes, sir. All right, so we're here with Dr. Sanford, and we're going to have the opportunity to be able to ask him these questions and all the things that we want to be able to talk about. I know a lot of people were like, man, why y'all starting a little bit late? We wanted to make sure that we got Dr. Sanford straight. All right, so he's on here now. He's good. He's ready to go. Uh, and so the first thing that we're talking about is we're going to talk about um, your memoir that you have released. I know that when I went on to order it at one time, it had said something like sold out, but then my wife put, pulled it up and then she was like, no, it ain't sold out. So, uh, we did order ours. It's on the way. Uh, the beauty of it is Quan has his right now. He's, he's reading, he's going through it. Uh, look, look, look at it. He's highlighted some things. So, uh, the first thing I want to do is be able to give you the opportunity just to be able to talk about your memoirs and, you know, the reason why you wrote it and, and so on and so forth. So doc, you got the floor. All right. Thanks a lot. Uh, this whole idea came up about two months after I, uh, retired from Jackson State University. Uh, my uh, my son, uh, who passed away back uh, about 13 months ago, Christopher, uh, had been in my ear about writing my memoir. And I would say, oh, yeah, I'm going to get it done. Yeah, yeah, blah, 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 you know. And, and so he passed on. After he passed on, uh, a couple of weeks afterwards, I was sitting in, your, in his studio right now. I'm using his his Mac because my PC's go now and this Mac is kicking my butt because uh, it's a whole nother animal for me. I'm still old school, but uh, sitting in, sitting in his studio and just kind of reflecting and, and, uh, you know, chilling. And then I remembered that he had asked me uh, about doing my memoir and I just uh, flipped my seat around and, and uh, started typing. And, uh, you know, on it, his whole thing was reason for that. Uh, you know, I think that kids from a neighborhood like you came from the community you came from would need to be able to read and hear about a guy that started really late uh, in music. As a matter of fact, most people don't know and uh, used to be embarrassed to say it. But when I went to 
in the community I grew up in, they didn't have a middle school. They only had elementary school and high school. That's the time. That's way back in the time. And so when I left elementary school and went to high school, I went to the band room because I had been hanging around down in New Orleans every summer with my aunt and would go over to Louis Armstrong Park and hear the trombones, you know, uh, hear all of the brass bands play. And, uh, you know, that was always, you know, fun for me. And I look forward to it every summer, but we didn't have music uh, in the elementary school. So when I went to high school, I went straight to the band room and said, I want to join the band. And she said, okay, it was a lady and band director, a female band director. And uh, she said, what do you want to play? I said, well, I want to play, you know, the trombone. And uh, she said, well, will your parents buy you an instrument? But I got to give you a test. So she gave me a test, a hearing test. I passed that and uh, just I read tone recognition and she gave me a rhythm test. And she was actually beating on the piano. Does this rhythm appear this way? And is this the same rhythm as that? And she made some things and I flunked the rhythm test. Uh, and they wouldn't let me in band my fresh, she didn't let me in band my freshman year. And then she got pregnant and had to take, go on maternity leave and a new band director came. When he came in, I, I walked over to the band room and and uh, told him I wanted to join band. He said, will you pounce by your instrument? I said, I'm not sure. He said, wait after school and I'll drive you home, which he did. I was now 10th grade uh, in high school and uh, he drove me home, had dinner with us and told my dad about it. And my dad looked at me and said, hey, son, you really want to do this? I said, yes. He said, you know my rule. I, and his rule was, once you start a project, you don't quit. You know, if you, if you commit to it, you're going to stay with it. So I said, yes. And we, that same day, we got up and went to Sears Roebuck and bought me a trombone, for, used trombone for $75. I mean, and the bell of the trombone at that time, the instrument of bow was probably about an inch larger than a trumpet bell. <laughs> it was really, really small bowl, but that's what they could afford to buy at that time. So I bought the trombone and I excelled the first year and then became the president of the band, uh, of the band. And there was some perks to the band. I, of course, I had to, I joined for the wrong reason. The perk for the band is once you became the president of the, uh, you were the drum major, you could ride on the back of the bus with the majorettes. So I was, I, my intentions were wrong. <laughs> and uh, But anyway, I became, at the end of my sophomore year, going into my junior year in high school, I was president of the band uh, organization. And then, of course, uh, after I graduated uh, from high school, I went the following Two weeks after I graduated, it was time to go to summer school at Southern. So I didn't have a lot of confidence because, you know, I started late on the instrument. You know, basically I started, you know, 10th grade is very late. And uh, I start, I <clears throat> went down to Southern, and, but I had excelled in industrial arts. And my industrial art teacher had told me that encouraged me to become an engineer uh, and a builder. So I registered in engineering when I went to Southern University my first summer and then my high school band director heard you know through the grapevine that i had registered in instrumental i mean in uh, as an engineer at southern so he got in his car in new orleans and drove up to baton rouge and went to my house where my mom was got my mom and my trombone and they came to the campus and found me and encouraged me to go and audition 
you know, for music. So I went and auditioned, passed the audition, and I changed my major from engineering to music education to be a band director. And that was my for my first summer. So that all of that stuff kind of, you know, got going. And I wrote about that intensely, you know, the community that I came came up in. If you've got the book, you know, you'll read about that. My family, uh, you know, the whole bit. My mom was a pianist, uh, but, you know, she had five children and she taught school, you know, night and day school and the whole bit. So she'd help me out a little bit on the piano. I ended up ending up uh, landing a job at our, at our home church as the pianist for the junior choir. My mom showed me what she could show me, but I, I really couldn't read music, uh, you know, very well, especially piano score. I could not do that, but she taught me what she could tell me. So I, I got into and stopped playing piano for the junior choir. And uh, that didn't last, you know, too long uh, because I started playing with a blues band uh, uh, very soon, making a little bit of, I think we were making like, like like 10 or 12 bucks you know a gig that was a lot of money back in the day they would buy me a couple of used tires for the car and <laughs> they would blow out weekly and uh so i started doing that but the unique thing that happened i don't know how far you want me to go with this uh you know uh julian i'm gonna leave it open for some questions too but to tell this short story of my my short uh i said career as a pianist ended when uh one of the students at, at, at the church was, was actually at a juke joint that we were playing at on a Saturday night. And I mean, she was having a ball, you know, dancing on the table and doing the whole bit, you know, <laughs> in a juke joint. And uh, Sunday morning, you know, after the gig was over, I got up and went to church and played for the choir. And at the end of service, the minister said, I want to see you back in the, uh, in the chamber. The deacons wanted to see me. And uh, so I went, I was surprised, and I went back there, and then the head deacon said, uh, 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 Sanford, uh, we've got the, the, heard the news that you had been playing for the devil, music for the devil, and uh, we're going to need to make a decision about what you're going to do. You're going to play for the devil, or you're going to play for God? And uh, at the time, I just told him, I said, I acknowledge, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm playing for them. But like I said, I was making 10 or 12 bucks, you know, with the, with the uh, sometimes 15 bucks with the, with the blues band. And the church was paying me $5, <laughs> you know, and a difference of, you know, six, seven, ten dollars $10 back in the day was good money. So uh, he said, you're going to have to, you know, are you going to play for the devil? Or are you going to play, you know, for God? And I said, well, you know, I don't know who I'm going to play for, but I want to continue, you know, with the blues band because it's a different, great difference. And I explained to him that it was just an okay. And I said, well, then uh, we're going to have to let you go. So I made the decision to play for the devil. And, <laughs> and uh, that ended my, my piano career very quickly. And, uh, and then, of course, I, uh, you know, continued to do that all the way through, uh, through high school, I met, you know, some of my lifetime friends like Paul I. Adams, and and uh, we've been colleagues that we met at 17 years of age, and we're still together, you know, the long relationship, and that's, that's kind of how I got started 
And that's how I ended up writing the book. So I started writing about all of that, thinking about the fact that my son had pressed me to do it. And it was it was quite emotional. And, and it's something that I recommend that everyone, you know, will do. I mean, uh, it was the first time in my life that I had discovered who I was and what I had been. I, I didn't know who I was. And I still I, uh, started writing the book and all at once, at various times, I would just stop and say, my God, I did all of this, <laughs> you know, and I started by all the traveling that I had done and, you know, traveling abroad and, you know, even behind the iron curtains in East and West Berlin before the wall came down, I was, I was out there. I had the opportunity to go over and, and study with uh, Thad Jones at, at the Conservatory of Music in Copen, Denmark. And, so that's how, you know, uh, all of that stuff kind of emerged. So uh, I'm open for any questions. Uh, you guys want me to keep talking on, you know, uh, how you want how you want to roll with this, Julia? So I'm going to let you know now that, you know, today is your day. So and many times I'm going to just kind of let you go because you're you're going to provide a lot of insight, not only uh for music educators not only for quote-unquote band heads but perspective into your life that we we didn't know about you know you were you were my director and i didn't know these things about you so this is this is new information for me so you know uh, so i'm gonna let you uh you know if, if whatever question is asked and however you how deep you want to go uh then you probably can't talk no more uh, I'm, I'm gonna just let you go ahead and and and, and do it uh but i do have a question i know you kind of answered uh, one of them, which was, you know, what is your memoir taught about yourself? But um, what has your experience as a director taught you? Well, I, th I guess I, 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 during the process of writing uh, my memoir, as I said earlier, is that I found out who I was. I found out uh, very early uh, who I was and the experiences that I was having uh especially when I went into the Big Ten. I, I you know I happened to, you know, started my first gig gig at Faraday High School in Louisiana, uh with the band there, high school band there. To, I think I did a photo of it in the book. And the key for me, and I'm gonna go this way, Julian, is that I had some great mentors. My high school band director believed in me and saw something in me that I didn't have a clue that that was there. And, and I think it was the, the uh, desire to achieve. And once I, I, I dived into something, you know, I, I went in 110%. And he saw that in me uh, to the point that after I finished uh, my first year in, uh, at Faraday High School as the band director, he and uh, my uh, college <clears throat> band director, Dr. Lovett Freeman, uh, showed up at my house uh, out in the country. And they were en route to the University of Michigan uh, to a clinic, to a band clinic. And he knew that I had never traveled out of Louisiana other than taking up a, a trip down to FAMU for a game when, we, when I was in the band at Southern. And they came in and, and, uh, and, and basically invited me to come go to Michigan with them because they wanted to expose me to another, uh, an advanced instrumental music program. 
because when I, during the period I was at Southern University, the Southern University was extremely poor. Uh, didn't have we didn't have a you know a full instrumentated sym symphonic band. Uh, I had never seen or heard of an E flat or a B flat counter bass clarinet. Didn't know what it. I had seen it in a book, but I, you know naturally I didn't have it on TV and I couldn't go online and get it because I didn't have it. But I had never heard that. So when I got to Michigan, on uh, my first summer after teaching and at graduating from school. And I had the opportunity to play in this uh, clinic band uh, there. And uh, Dr. Rivelli was conducting the band. That was that was quite an experience. And uh, the experience of hearing the E-flat counter-bass clarinet and, the, and the, the, those clarinets, those instruments sitting on the bottom of that clarinet section was a total new experience for me. I heard all, man, I was like a kid in a candy store. I heard all of these overtones you know then i was looking around and like chills were vibrating and people playing i had never experienced anything like that but the point is that those those two directors you know saw you know something in me and they 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 put me in that you know you know in that vein of you know having various experiences and when at the end of that summer session uh one of my mentors had heard about a job at Mississippi Valley State College. Uh, and I was going into my second year of teaching, getting ready to go teaching, and they had recommended me for the, to be the arranger and trombone teacher at Mississippi Valley State College, my second year. And uh, I went up for the interview and they had already sold Mr. Boone on uh, who I was and where I was, you know, in my career. And they hired me, and uh, I had two years to complete my master's degree because I had an undergraduate degree. So I came in there, and I, you know, I went up for two summers and took a semester off and completed my master's, came back, and I served as the uh, associate director of band and arranging trombone teacher for Mississippi Valley for, for five years. And at the end of my fifth year, I became the director of bands at Mississippi Valley. At the same time, the experience that I had at Mississippi Valley, Mr. Boone, who was the director of bands at that time, went up to the chairman of the Department of Music, but this was a very unique gentleman because he was the first African-American to be, the, be the drum major in the United States Navy Band, and he was very military. So my experience with him and seeing how organized he was, I mean, this guy was so square, man. You know, he'd walk down the hallway and if he was going to his office he, and he had to make a left, he would make a left flank. You know, he was really military, you know, guy. And and he ran his organization and the band program like that. And at the time, you know, I hated it. I thought I was, you know, all of this and, you know, young, young thought I knew something. I didn't really know anything and I didn't know I didn't know anything. You know, at that time, you know, kind of, you know, as they say, having the fat head, you know, just just thought I was it. And uh, so I learned so much from him, uh, from being there. And then what I found out as I wrote the book, many of the things that I didn't like about him, I didn't understand about him when I was under, uh, you know, uh, on his staff. I ended up doing those things, a lot of the things the same way he did it. And, you know, discipline, organization in terms of, uh, you know, the structure of the band program and 
and all of that kind of stuff. So I, I, I ended up staying there and doing that. And what motivated me was moving to the next level was uh, that was the first uh, Battle of the Bands that, that I know about was the Banner International Battle of the Bands, which was held in Dallas, Texas, or in Irving, Texas, right outside of Dallas at the, at the Cowboy Stadium, actually. And uh, I entered the band in it my last year at Mississippi Valley, and we went in there and we won that competition. They had five. They gave six trophies away, and we won six of the trophies and won a $10,000 prize. That was, that was the second year. And uh, when that happened, you know, I can't say it went viral, but, you know, in our HBC world, that was a big thing to do. So I won that competition, and then I got another call, you know, from uh, Virginia State College as a result of, you know, winning that competition. And I ended up accepting a job at the university, uh, at Virginia State College at the time. It's now Virginia State University. And so when I accepted the job there, I stayed there three years, you know, it was a small program. I built the program and from maybe about 50 kids to roughly 100, 110 uh, students in the program. I had a good time there. And at the end of, coming up to the end of my third year, I was kind of sitting uh, and having coffee with the choir director and pianist one day. And he told me about a job at the University of Minnesota. And uh, he said, O'Neill, there's a job at the University of Minnesota for director of the marching band and, and the symphonic band at the University of Minnesota. And he said, I think you have the skills to go there. I said, man, are you kidding? I'm not going up to Minnesota, you know, with, with, in that cold weather. I'm from Louisiana. No way I'm going up there. Plus, you know, I'm, you know, that's a white university, a Big Ten university. They're not going to have, you know, a black person in that position because it had never been a, a, a black director and the Big Ten or, the, or any of the PW or white institutions, PWIs, uh, at that point. And so uh, I just kind of, after coffee, we just went different ways. I don't know how my time is and I'm doing duty here, but I'm just kind of telling you how my uh, career developed. So I went on, a couple of weeks later, I get a letter in the mail saying, thank you for your interest in the job at the University of Minnesota. And I said, what the hell is this? I didn't apply, I didn't write no letter, you know, and inquired. I, I went down the hallway and I found my friend and I, I said, man, I got a letter from the University of Minnesota saying I had, a, they wanted additional information and material from me and they thanked me for applying. I said, I didn't do it. He said, he smiled and he said, I, put, I sent your letter in O'Neill. So the choir director, Dr. Harris, sent my letter of inquiry in that, that he saw the job advertisement. And, uh, and uh, you know, we laughed at him. I said, man, are you kidding? He said, you don't have anything to lose. He said, hey, man, just take the free trip. You know, send them some more stuff. I sent them some more stuff up there, a couple of arrangements and some drill charts and stuff like that. And a couple of weeks later, I get a call saying, you wanted to find us for the job. And I'm like, wait a minute. You know, this this can't be serious. This has got to be a joke. And I did some research. I called Paul and Adams, my friend, and my mentor, high school band director, college band directors, and talked to them about it. And both all of them said, well, man, you don't have anything to lose. You know, you're going you know, to another part of the country. I said, well, they want to, they, they only want to use me as a ploy to say that they had a finalist for the position. 
And uh, so, <laughs> uh, I, they convinced me to take the job. And at the time, at the period of time, my wife was pregnant with my, my youngest son, Chris, and ready to go <laughs> to the hospital. And I was using that as an excuse not to go because I really didn't want to go. I was actually frightened to tell you the truth because I didn't know if I could, you know, go and make a good show and then represent myself because that's a whole nother world from what I came from. You know, like I told you, I didn't have the experience at, you know, at Southern, you know, I had to conduct this, you know, the symphonic band when I went there and all of that. I, so I didn't have the confidence to go and do it. And I called Paul on the phone and we started talking. He was band director at Howard University at the time, which was about an hour and a half, two hours away. And he said, look, man, hold up before you make that decision. You know, I said, I'm on my way down there. An hour and a half, Paul was in the house. And so we sat down and we talked about it. And my wife was back in the room, you know, saying, I think this baby getting ready to do something. And I said, well, I can't leave you. You know, that was another excuse for me not to go because I was afraid to go. You know, I didn't know. And I didn't want it to, to you know, to be that ploy that they want, were going to say, be able to say to affirmative action that, hey, we had, you know, a, a minority in the finalists for the position. And I knew, I kind of felt that's what it was. So anyway, they convinced me to get on the plane. And so I, you know, I, I shouted out of the house and last minute made it to Richmond, Virginia, got on the plane and flew up to Minneapolis, Minnesota, you know, and it was like January, man. And it was like minus 10 below zero. Uh, and as a matter of fact, while I was en route to the University of Minnesota for the job, you know, my, my son Chris was born when I was flying up there to Minnesota. So when I got to Minnesota, my son, the guy who picked me up, my son had met me. Uh, I mean, my son was born. And uh, so anyway, we got through all of that and he told me about it. En route to the hotel, he said to me, he said, O'Neill, uh, well, the, uh, arrange, give me the arrangements that you were supposed to bring along uh, so we can play them at the uh, event tomorrow and gave me a, a brand new uh, score that I had to conduct with the symphonic band and all that and, you know, bombshell. Rushing out the house and made last minute, I didn't have my arrangements uh, there. I had left them at home. And it wasn't no internet <laughs> and, it, and it actually was no fax, fax machines that I could actually, uh, 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 I wasn't in the fax machines that I could ha have it faxed to me. So what do I do? I get to the hotel about nine o'clock that night. And uh, the, the, I knew that the guy who picked me up, Dr. Frank Nathan hold on a minute, my wife don't get it. I'm on, I can't take the call. And uh, sorry about that. Um, yeah, okay. Shut that thing down. So I asked him if he had any manuscript paper. He said, "What are you gonna do?" I said, "Man, I, I forgot the, the the trucks." And he said, "Yeah, I got some school paper in the trunk of my car." And uh, I said, "You know, can I get some? You know, borrow some?" I said, "I got to come up with something for my interview on tomorrow." And uh, he said, "What are you gonna do?" I said, "I've got to come up with something." So checked in the hotel about nine o'clock that night, and I sat down at the desk. And I got up the next morning uh, from the desk about seven o'clock. He picked me up about 
about eight o'clock that morning to start my interview. And when I got in that car, I passed him a score. I said, you have anybody that can copy this? And he looked at me and he said, what is this? I thought you had left the music. He, I said, I did. I said, he said, what, what did you get this from? I said, you know, from my head, I had to, I had to come up with a, a couple of arrangements. And so I sat up all night and I did, you know, a, a couple of short things, quick things. You know, on the spot, no piano, nothing. But I had to just, I had to just bring it from, you know, from all of the knowledge and experiences that I had had. And the next day, went over for the interview, and uh, stood in front of the band, put the arrangements on the stand, and conducted the symphonic band. And the students in the band gave me a standing ovation. They had already had the other two candidates there, and none of them had gotten a standing ovation. I had. You know, a table over here with affirmative action was over there, and then the search committee table, and then a student, a group of students. That was a lot of pressure for me, you know. But once I got up there and started grooving, and their minds were blown because I was able to produce overnight, overnight. And then uh, finally, you know, we ended the interview uh, and the interview process. I get back home. See my new baby, bonding with my new baby, and told told them about my experience and stuff like that. And I said, "Hey, they're not gonna give me the job anyway. I had this all white band with them, like three hundred people in the band, not a black person in the band." I said, "They're not gonna have me for that job. I didn't see three black people the whole time I was there, and you know that was a whole new culture for me." And so a couple of days later, I got a telephone call from the guy. And he said, O'Neill, I called to tell you that you, you were the number one candidate for the job at the University of Minnesota. And I went, what? Are you that? And they go, the university going to offer you the job. And I said, you got to be kidding. He said, no. He said, you, you came in number one. And number two was one of our graduates who, who they had already been priming for that job. But the students selected me. And I, I mean, that blew my mind completely. I, I think I'm going to say Virginia State. I say, well, you know, uh, you know, this is a very prestigious job. You'll be the first African-American to be conductor of a, of a of PWI and, and the Big Ten and the Big East. You know, Big Ten, actually, at the time, University of Minnesota. I said, ah, you know, let me think about it for a couple of days. So I got off the phone with the guy and... Um, Talked to my wife about it and talked to Paul about it and said, I really don't want to do I, you know, I, I'm going to stay here at, at Virginia State College, you know, and finish this program that I, you know, that I got going on pretty good. And next couple of days, he called me back and he said, Neil, what's your decision? And I said, well, I decided to stay at, uh, at Virginia State College and, you know, complete the job that I have started here. And he said, well, you know, I was kind of concerned about that because this is a whole different culture for you. And, uh, and you know, you're going to have a concern that you're from the South and you're going to have, a, you know, a 300-piece, 250, 300-piece band. It's going to be all white kids. I, I kind of figured that that was going to be a challenge for you. And when he made that statement to me, man, my blood ran <laughs> warm in my body, <laughs> you know, and I, it, it was, you know, that it was some racial overtones, I mean, all over the place, and I was just sitting, and I had already told my wife and Paul that I wasn't going to take the job, and when he started talking that way, I said to him, I said, uh, Dr. Ben, when a B-flat concert is played, it does not come out white, green, black, or yellow, it's a B-flat concert, and I said, you know what?
I changed my mind. I'm going to take the job. And my wife was sitting there with my new baby, like two days old, and almost dropped the baby because <laughs> I had told her that I wasn't going to take the job. And she said, oh, my God, we're going up to Minnesota in that cold weather, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And, man, I put my foot in my mouth and I said, I have to go. I, you know, I've got to go do this. I've got to go do this for me and i got to do it for my for our race you know, and, and uh, old bit, I've got to make this happen. And so that's how I ended up flipping and going to the University of Minnesota. And then once I got to University of Minnesota, the exposure for me, that's when I developed. And uh, when I sailed by my alma mater, Southern University, and I thank them today and and God bless, and we need our HBCU schools because not for Southern University and what I learned in the theory and counterpoint classes that I took at Southern University, I wouldn't have been able to sit down to that, to that desk and do that arrangement that I had to get done overnight. You know, I do it, I understand. They gave me the basic fundamentals and theory and harmony and counterpoint, all of the things that I needed to know, they were there. They just had not been developed because I hadn't had a chance to develop them. But, you know, I mean, I was out in the, in the ocean. I was out in the sea, you know, so I had to figure out how to paddle. You know, if somebody dropped you in the ocean, you're going to try to swim. You know, and you got to find a way to paddle and say, you know, and, and uh, the embarrassment that, you know, that, that was there. And so I, I think my alma mater, and so university made me think about now all of the HBCU schools, HBCU schools we have in place now, you know, they are very needed. We need to have those for, for people like myself who got a late start in music and still too many of our HBCU band programs and music education programs are not equipping our, our students with all of the knowledge and the uh, exposing them to the things that they need to be able to expose them to, to develop them to be able to go out and do what, compete in the global job market. You've got to be able to go out there and, and, and do it. I mean, it's only so many Southern universities and, and, and FAMUs, uh, you know, it's only so many of them. So, so we've got to prepare our students. I'm kind of going off in a different direction now. But, you know, that experience at Minnesota made me realize that how important Southern University was and how, how important Southern University is. Now, today, the present state of our band programs today, uh, and I'm going in kind of in a different direction here, is that they have all of the equipment that they need to be able to excel, to excel. People that at Prairie View A&M University, Southern University, now I know Norfolk State University and FAMU and a few more HBCU schools sprinkled here and there have the equipment. They have B-flat counter-bass clarinets and, and B-flat counter-bass clarinets and alto clarinets and all of those things. They, they are well-equipped. Several of the schools, not enough of them. You know, but we are moving in that direction. Now, the biggest challenge that I see presently, I'm going in another direction now with, with you know, with our, you know, with our programs. And I don't know if you want me to go here or not. The challenges that I see now is that uh, 
you know, our administrators, most of our administrators, and I was blessed that Norfolk State with Dr. Myers and a, and a, and a couple more people. Uh, she just happened to be uh, uh, played the violin, so she understood she understood music from bottom to top. So, and as a matter of fact, she called me sometimes at the game and said, "Neil, what you know? What's going on?" You know, with that mid-range in your band, them horns, you know, not locking in, you know, I might, I mean, I'm saying my president's telling me my band is out of tune, you know, so I was lucky to have that. But too many of the presidents, all they want to see is the tubas on the fields and the drums and, you know, we kind of shaking our butts and we do, they do everything they want to do for what? The marching band, but when, when it comes to the total instrumental music program for our music education majors. We have to have that total instrumental music program so we can prepare our graduates to go out and compete in the global job market. And that's what I have been doing since I retired. And uh, fortunate enough to be with the uh, educational consultant and clinician for the Con Selma Company. And, uh, you know, I get a chance to go out and, and uh, they, they pay me to go out and, and do professional development workshops you know, in high schools, and I even done a couple of middle schools, which is a whole nother world for me. But, you know, at the high school, at colleges and universities across the country, and I'm trying to get the word out and trying to get in the ears of some of the young directors, and that's what I'm spending my life doing, you know, now. Since spending 13 months writing that book, uh, <laughs> trying to get that book out and, and get beat up by, by that, and that was, that was quite challenging. In between, you know, I, you know, I feel like that's my role, and that's 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 what God wants me to do now. So, just getting off the phone today with a, with a young man that's looking at a job at a at a college and university, trying to trying to advise him on uh, the kind of things that the kind of questions that he needs to ask going into a job, you know, and you know, all the way from you know what does the administration and 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 alumni want what kind of band program they want. Do they have a music education program, you know, and, you know, and, you know, all of that, you know, all, how much is your budget is going to be coming in? You know, what kind, what size year, how many years your contract is going to be when you sign it? Is it going to be a three-year, five-year contract? Or are you going to go in and do a one-year contract and they want you to come up with a 150 or 200-piece band? You don't have the budget to do it. You know, how how far can you get if you don't have a music education program or some program in place in terms of trying to develop a total instrumental music program if you don't have music education? Just a lot of challenges out there. And uh, yeah, and so I'm spending my time now just, you know, give me a call. Man, I'm on a plane or in my car, whatever. And you know, I come and sit down with you and observe you and talk to you. And not tell you what to do, but share in my experiences, you know, that I've had on all levels of of, of music education, instrumental music education, from Big Ten, Big East, University of Pittsburgh. Those were total learning experiences for me. That's when I learned what a total and comprehensive program was all about. When I was up there, you know, I was playing Ohio State, Northwestern. And those schools up there took, look, I took some butt kickings and I had to, you know, I had to learn, you know, their game. I had to learn the difference between writing an arrangement for Virginia State College and writing an arrangement for the University of Minnesota. Total different concept, 
you know, and, you know, in terms of how to approach it, I had to learn how to do that. Then I had to learn what a comprehensive uh, instrumental music program was all about. Where did I learn it? I learned at OJT, on-job training, out there in experiences, because I was now what? Out there working with and rubbing shoulders with, you know, guys, the uh, majority of them are, you know, Caucasians or, you know, white guys. And, and uh and i earn that respect you know uh through professionalism and productivity you know they respected the minnesota band when we were going at going to the university of michigan and, and uh hit that that stadium you got 110 people in the stands out there looking at you and the michigan band on the other side i tell you what you know you get a funny feeling in your stomach you know and the first time that i heard you know for the first time i heard a Big Ten band was was Michigan State, and they must have had, I would say, probably eighty trumpets. They must have had, you know, uh, sixty four trombones, you know, thirty two baritone horns, and I mean, two hundred fifty piece band with all of that power, and everybody could play. Uh, I learned a lesson, you know, that I said, okay, I got to change my whole game here. And, uh, you know, and I, I had to learn, you know, that I couldn't just do step twos. I had to start doing other things and it going in different directions. And uh, and that is probably one of my biggest concerns now. Uh, our bands, you know, you know, are looked at as what we do, the majority of us do, you know, has become a culture. For our, for our band programs, we all sound just about alike. There are about maybe four or five bands that, if you put your back to it, and, and that's something that I strived at Norfolk State. Paul Adams, my best friend, and William Patea, and Tim Zachary, and all that. Look, we needed to have a band that when you hear Norfolk State band play and you turn your back and you hear or some other bands play. I want you to, I want people to be able to recognize Norfolk State Band sound. You know, be able to recognize that. Now, and some people, you know, probably will get angry with me, but you know, I really don't, don't care. Uh, you know, I can say what I want to say. You know, I'm old enough to say what I want to say. And, uh, and all of our bands are beginning to sound just alike. There's not much difference in the sound. And I'm going back to what? to the days when I was in the band, you know, at Southern University. Uh, Southern University had that unique sound uh, that was different. Tennessee State had a sound, you know, that was totally different. FAM has always had their, their, their sound and identity together. You can't knock them, you know, I mean, and they stayed with that philosophy of, you know, what a, a, a band sound. You can hear, when you hear the FAM band play, you know, you know it's fam, you know, just from the arrangements and the whole bit. You hear Norfolk State, you know, doing our era and, and, and William Bethel and Stephanie is, you know, carrying on the tradition of the band. They're doing a great job. Did outstanding. Bravo for them, you know, out on the West Coast. They did great out, you know, in Pasadena. Uh, and uh, But the majority of our bands sound the same way. You know, the style of writing is, you know, the same way. You know, and uh, and uh, so that's become a culture for us. 
And I think that we are, uh, oh man, I'm going crazy here, Julian. I'm going off somewhere else, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, in that. But, you know, I get caught up in it. So I'm just going to shut up and let you guys ask some questions because I got 50 plus years that I can talk about, uh, which most of it would probably bore you. But uh, so I'm just going to shut up and listen to the young lady. Any questions? So the first thing I'm going to say is I'm not bored. I could tell you that right now. I'm nowhere I'm near bored. Um, I am enjoying everything about it. As a matter of fact, you know, a lot of the stuff that he said, everybody who's watching right now, a lot of the stuff that he said, you got to go pick up the book, A Maestro and Trailblazer from Slaughter, a memoir by O'Neill, Dr. Sanford. Um, I'm telling you, if if from what you heard just now, if that was intriguing enough, you got to get the book. So please make sure you can grab it on Amazon. Go ahead and pick it up, you know, pick it up as fast as you can. Uh, but the next thing that I actually wanted to say, and, and, and I know I want to get to Quan because I know he has a question. But the next thing that that uh, I wanted to say just from, you know, listening to everything that you said, one of the things that that and, and you said a lot of things that are absolutely true. I'm almost it makes me feel like you're almost I'm almost certain that you've watched the show on multiple occasions because of some of the things that you just got finished saying. But one of the things that you said early on and talking about your career when you were going from for Virginia State and trying to make that decision um, was the fact that that wasn't a space that you were used to operating in and you wanted to be in a, and, and you felt more comfortable being in the space that you were at Virginia State. And want that, I think that's a big thing for us as a people. I think as us as music educators, right? Like I know that when I had the opportunity to, to go to the DCI world, it was uncomfortable for me because it was something that I had never done before. But I knew, I, and I went in as a tech, but I knew trumpet and I knew trumpet very well. And, and when I got into that space and operated in that space, I, I never got anybody who told me I ever did a bad job. As a matter of fact, everybody always told me I, I was doing great so much so that the next following year, I ended up being a captain head at a, at a, at, at a program, but we have got to become comfortable with operating in different spaces. We learn from that. I learned so much just from being in that space for a summer. And I grew from that. And because of that, I was able to operate in different spaces. We've got to get out of these comfort zones and kind of going back to uh, what you said uh, towards the end, getting us out of those comfort zones will also give us new and fresh ideas to bring back to our university programs and music programs instead of having everything be and look exactly the same. Most of the problem or most of the issues that we have is the fact that we don't have any other outside tutelage except for the things that we have only regurgitated for years and years and years. And when we start to go out and we get those other things and we acquire that knowledge from other places, it allows our book to grow bigger so that we can give and pass that knowledge on to the next generation. So I, I think that what you said is absolutely amazing. Because the word Word is scared. I was that's the simple word. I was scared to hell that I was gonna fail and that I could not do it. And I was afraid that they were going to do what? They were gonna use, okay, we're gonna give this guy this job because we know that he's he's not gonna survive, you know, uh, you know, in this particular culture. And so, you know, I got very said, okay, we're gonna let him have the job, you know, kind of thing. But you know, the key was the key for me was 
the students. I when when I went there, they were playing. You know, the, the musicianship level was way up here. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, the, some of the best musicians I ever stood in front of was University of Minnesota, and uh, and uh, they were used to playing uh, polkas and show tunes and all like that. I went in there with Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Michael Jackson, and and you know, uh, Tower of Power and Chicago. All of those kinds of tunes that they were not that they had not been exposed to, uh, after about two years, they didn't even want to play a polka. You know, they were bringing me in tunes by you know Michael Jackson, <laughs> Barry White. You know, it's a, hey, what do you think about this? You know, uh, Doc, you know, what do you think this will you know sound like with the band? Can you make that happen? So you know, so I I I was able to get the respect of everybody. And I went in also uh, uh, as a tenured in a tenured position and, and was able to get tenure at the end of my second year. And that's something else I tell the guys about when they're going out to get jobs. You know, I, I went in tenure track and the university was so structured and organized until they assigned a senior professor to me to help me get through that. That was a process that they had in place to get through it. You had three years to get tenure. At the end of my second year, I was I was tenured. You know, so come I had the job locked in. So when I talked to these guys out in the field, you're going to this job, man, are you gonna get are you gonna get, you know, a tenured contract? Are you gonna be tenure tracked on? And you've got to know that stuff. Because what happens? Boom. If you can't give them that, you know, 128 piece band, you know, with 16 tubas and the baritones, you know, and the trumpets and all that brass and that, and drum for marching band, you can they'll fire you in a minute. So a lot of guys get caught up into, you know, to those jobs. And then you know, because high school band directors, I'm doing a session at CSI, uh, Conselm Institute, uh, what is the hell is it? In June, uh, and, and, and it's about transitioning to the college level because a lot of guys want to leave high school and middle school and go what move up to the university and college level you know my first word is to hey it's the grass is not as green on the other side of the fence as it appeared when you're standing on the opposite side you know and uh, you're going up to the collegiate level there are a lot of things that you have to take in you know that you have to take in consideration and i and i share all of these things with the guys because I've, I've experienced it i've seen it you know happen you know it, it, it's really tough to be a director in HBCU schools. I mean, there are some some guys. I was blessed at Norfolk State. You know, Tim Zachary is blessed over at Prairie View. You know, AM, he's getting everything and more than one. The fam has been set for years. My alma mater now is in 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 great shape, you know, in terms of where they are, you know, in terms of the total instrumental music program. They have a symphonic concert band and and uh, I think they've got some chamber ensembles, brass choirs, and all that. They're giving those kids total experience, and the kids are playing year-round, both semesters. They're not just in marching band, you know, and they're not just going to, I think they do too many parades, uh, body-grown parades, but I know how, you know, they got to make money. You're in Louisiana, and people in Louisiana, you know, they're going to party. You know, Mardi Gras season, you know, the Southern University bands got to, what, show up for a couple of Mardi Gras parades at least, you know, in Baton Rouge and New Orleans and some small communities. But 
for the most part, you know, like I said, all band programs are there. But that thing of fear, going back to your point, I, I, the bottom line for me, I, I was scared I was going to fail, you know. But I had what? That foundation that I had got from Southern music skills, basic fundamentals that helped me to survive. All right. Um, well, let's let's start pulling in questions. I know you want to get some questions. Um, I know I have a few, but I do want to allow the rest of the panel to get theirs in, as well as everybody who's out there watching. So, uh, Quan, you got it first, man. Go ahead and 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 get your questions in, bro. Well, first, I want to say, uh, Doctor Sanford, like great book. I've been kind of uh, my book came in last night, so I've been reading it every free moment that I have. I'm in page. 75 right now i'm in the chapter of uh it's a uh, what is it? it's damn cold uh when you uh transition to to the Minnesota and have that whole conversation with uh dr ben as you stated you kind of honestly you, you're not far off because uh some of the things you've answered but i really want you to dive in deep on this question the, the question first question that i have for you tonight is what is it, what is the current state of bands in the HBCU world that's uh, sound-wise, creativity, funding, and hiring younger uh, band directors, in your opinion? You kind of answered it, but uh, I kind of want to dive deeper in that, uh, that aspect. The current state of the uh, HBCU band programs, I did kind of touch on that a little bit. As I said earlier, our band programs have the best equipment that uh, that that I've ever experienced in my 50 years. You know, with that, I mean, they 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 have the equipment. Uh, many of them don't have the facilities and and all of the things that are necessary to take care of that equipment properly, which which is something that I experienced. You know, you know, up there, you know, having a uh, a person that would be hired just to take care of their instruments and clean their instruments and fix their instruments, and, you know, uh, a person in-house that's on staff. I mean, that's a perfect situation. Because Mississippi Valley's had that when I accepted the job in 1966 when I first went to Valley. Valley already had that. Mississippi Valley was one of the, the one a band program that was completely different. But going back to your question, uh, The majority, let me see, there are a, a small percentage of HBCU bands uh, uh, who have a total comprehensive program, instrumental music program. That's my number one, you know, concern. They all have, the majority of them have marching bands. And as I said earlier, uh, you know, the culture for us is, you know, blastissimo. You know, that's 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 a term that I that I that I have guys to think what the word blastissimo. You know, it's, it's you know, it's all about playing loud and uh you know guys don't understand that you know playing in tune and articulation is gonna get you all the power you need. You know, uh, you know, if you can play in tune and you got the, the the arrangement, and uh, you got the if you taught your students, I mean, you you can get the power, but they 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 have gone beyond you know what what uh, fortissimo is, and every band's gonna have you know a different different concept. So I think that you know that side of, but as far as having a total 
uh, and comprehensive instrumental music program coming up short. And, you know, we get, to, you know, we got the uniforms when we go to these administrators, like I was talking with the gentleman today, is you got to go in and explain to the administration that, you know, what a total and comprehensive music program is all about and uh, what it's going to take for, you know, and this is what you expect as a director coming in. You know, yeah, I'm going to give you your marching band. Now, we just don't, can't get this out of, out of line. The marching band is the bread and butter of our what? band programs, and that is in our HBCU schools. They, they are the bread and butter. I mean, that's the, the, it is. The marching band is its key. You got to have that marching band for our HBCUs. Not so much at the University of Michigan because, you know, you got a budget. Ohio State just got people to just deal with marching band. Then they got to win the summer director and a person just deal with that guy. They have their own budget. Then they have the jazz ensemble. We are completely lost jazz in our HBCU programs. Jazz bands in our HBCU programs. Very limited. You may be able to find five in all of our programs. So we're not giving what our students here. And uh, going back to your question, we're not, we're not developing our students to be able to go out there in the global job market and get the job at the University of Michigan and Florida State and all of that if you don't have you know that total program to give those kids the experience that's 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 my concern so that's where we are equipment wise you know we're doing better some facilities are not adequate maybe you know a third of them may have decent facilities. You know, uh, you know, uh, storage for uniforms. You know, I mean, those are not simple things. Those are major things. That's going to be the difference between what, you know, um, you know, you know, the life of your instruments and your equipment. How long is that's going to that's going to last? Now, I remember at a point just before I left Norfolk State, and I just going back to Norfolk State is that we had two sets of instruments. We had a, a set of instruments that we practice on. My number one goal when Tim Zachary came there and when Paul Adams came in and William Pathea came in and Stephanie Sanders is that I did not want a student to graduate from that program without having to put a trumpet player that had not put their hands on a piccolo trumpet. We bought piccolo trumpets. We bought, you know, C trumpets, you know. And, and of course, the marching band stuff, you know, was, you know, that outside trombone. We had soprano trombones out to all the way the whole trombone line because I want every, I wanted every student in that program to be able to experience that. We had the clarinets all the way down to the what? B flat counter bass clarinet, which I had not uh, ever experienced. In the saxophone, we even have a bass sax for the saxophone section. You know, because what of the experiences that I had that I had up in the PWI schools and experiences that I didn't get when I was at Southern because our university was too poor to have that, you know, that, to give me that kind of experience. So that kind of, did that kind of uh, summarize that? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, and I just one quick question. Um, my... Last question, well, not last question, but I do have this question. Did you ever question yourself as a director? And if so, how did you overcome your own thoughts? Time. 
<laughs> Many times. <clears throat> what are you thinking about? You question yourself when you uh, sit down and write a, a drill to tune and then uh, spend 30 hours of, on, on writing a drill on arrangements and, and go to sleep and wake up the next day and throw it in the trash can. That's that's second guess. You know, I did that, you know, many, many times um, uh, because I wanted it to be better, you know, and you pull away from it. You know, sometimes when you had time to do it, the, the probably, I hate to think about it. You guys have it easy now. You know, I look at, you know, Kevin Jones at, uh, you know, LSU, those guys had, they got computers. You know, they can do what? Hit a couple of buttons and they can totally change what a drill. When I was at the University of Minnesota, and the University of Pickles with those big pads. Guess what? I had to put a dot down for every 250 people on that on that field. And trust me, there are times when I had to throw a, a, a drill chart away that may have been 80 pages of nothing but 250, you know, uh, dots or 280, you know, dots on the field and throw the whole drill away and go back and start all over again because I didn't have no way to duplicate. So I tell the guys, I tell Kevin and the guys, now y'all got it easy, man. Y'all can hit a button. But second guess yourself. Yes. Yes. You can't say decisions you make, you know, you know, about leadership, for an example, you know, in the band, students that, that uh, talented students that are there, you don't see it because you can see a kid you know, standing back and that's, you know, you just never know, you know, uh, you made mistakes, you know, on selecting drum majors, you know, so, you know, you do, are you going to make mistakes? If you're a human being, you're going to make mistakes and you rectify them, you deal with it and never be afraid to say, I'm sorry, I got to do this. I remember doing a couple of arrangements on a couple of occasions and I had the band to play through it and I tell the kids, hey, right now, ball that up and put it in the trash can. Yeah. take the parts and put them in the trash can and take the score up in front of the band you know, and go back, you know, get back to the desk and come back and we'll come back another way with that. Wrong key. You know, that key is not, you know, going to work. I can't sit at the, I couldn't sit at the computer now and boom, boom and change it, you know, say, okay, I'm going to make this up a minor third. You know, I'm taking up a whole step because it's going to, you know, it's going to help the, the, the woodwinds because it's got the woodwinds in the wrong key. You know, and so yeah, yeah, yeah. You second guess yourself, and 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 accept it that you're human. You're gonna make mistakes, and never be the best thing you can do if you make a mistake and you stand in in front of the students. Let the students know that you're human too. You know, say I'm sorry, I got that wrong. That's one of the best things you can do, and you earn the respect of your students when you do that. I got that wrong, guys. Throw that thing away. I don't know where I was. I was on cloud nine when I did that. No, that's not gonna work for us. Bam. Then you believe it. You will learn. The students will learn to respect you for that. You know, don't just go on because you know you're proud. You know, I put this thing in E, in E minor, it's in D minor, and this thing may have should have been in F. You know, and and you know F minor instead of D minor. You know what I'm saying? And so, so that's what that's what some advice I tell people all the time. I even tell my you know my grandkids that don't be afraid to say you make a mistake. When you make a mistake, that qualifies you as a human being. Yeah, I, I I definitely agree with that. I didn't, I didn't know Quan if you were gonna say something else. Um, go ahead. I mean, I, you know, I guess guess for me, I don't, I don't mean to have a selfish moment, but I guess I guess I look at it like, 
you know, you don't you don't have history, you know, in French often. So I'm being a little grafty. So I apologize. <laughs> uh, but I, but I, but I guess my, my last question is, did you ever feel like you weren't prepared? And this is something personally that at times me and Julie have had conversations I deal with. Uh, I mean, I was trying to be uh, as studious as possible, but do you ever get up to a point or have it walked into a situation where you felt like you weren't prepared? All the time, many times, many times, you know, but that's in one of them situations where, you know, like what I was telling you about, if you're in the ocean and you want to live, guess what? You got to swim. You know, you got to find a way to swim. You got to find a way to, you know, to get it done. You know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I walked in many situations where I felt like I wasn't prepared. And a lot of times it wasn't because I was planning on, I didn't plan, I just didn't have the knowledge, you know, to get it done. Or sometimes you just make a bad mistake or you procrastinate. That's one thing that that I learned that I could not do it because I'm not going to waste it, the student time. There's many times that I, you know, Julian probably remember this. We'd go on the field and we'd start working on a drill or something. And I said, okay, let's take it inside to, and do some music because I got to straighten out some things here with this drill. We'll come back to drill tomorrow. And, uh, you know, I wasn't prepared. It wasn't that I wasn't trying to be. It may have been something that caused me, you know, to think a different way. But so don't be... That's going to happen with you. There are going to be situations when you are not going to be prepared as you want to be. You know, so, you know, don't be afraid of it. Just, you know, just in, what, uh, just eat it. You know, it's, it's real. It's, I mean, it's what it is. And, it, you know, if there's anybody, and one of my instructors said to me, I went to a clinic once, and the guy said, I want everybody to look to the left. And then I want everybody to look to the right and Look at the person in front of you and then turn around and look behind. What is this guy talking about? He said, if you're sitting by anybody who think they got all of the answers and they know everything, I advise you to get up and move over or back a couple of seats away from them. You get it? You know, if you're sitting by somebody that thinks they knows it all, but they know it all, you know, or they run in their mouth all the time, you know, and they know it all, and they got all the answers, then you need to get away from them because you're sitting next to a fool. You don't know it all. It ain't about being an outstanding musician. You know, you know, being the best trumpet player does not make you what? The best band director. Because being a band director, you got to deal with people. You got to deal with what? A certain, a lot of different personalities. So you've got to find the middle of the road, you know, to deal with it. And then you learn that. And matter of fact, most band directors, most band directors who are successful, are, you know, just average musicians not not the guy that could just pick the trumpet up and just and then play a z on the trumpet the first time he put it to his lips you know it's the guy that's going to gonna have a, gonna have more of a repertoire as the person who what who kind of struggled to be able to get up to what to that z because they had to find that way they had to try different things and different techniques and then go to the guy on the left and the front of the back and say what do you think about this you know what you think about that, and uh, and 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 talking about that one example I had uh, when I was in graduate school at Vanderbilt, you know, and like I said, I got started late on the trombone. I could always make a, a, a pretty sound on the horn. I had a beautiful tone and uh, sweet tone, and uh, could get around on the horn. Pretty good technique, but I could never 
be consistent with getting a note started, you know, to attack that note, pow, nail it. You know, I'd fluff it up, you know, 50% of the time. And uh, and so I was studying with Adam Case, who's the principal trombonist for uh, Detroit Symphony. And I went to take a listen, a lesson with him. He's just, you know, I just can't figure out what's going on with, you know, your attack. Why can't you nail your, your notes? And say, remember, once you get the notes started, you just got a beautiful sound. And we just kept talking. And then I, and then I, then all at once he said, say that again. I say, say what? He say, say the, and say that. And I would say D, and I say that. Now I'm right dead out of the South, right? Now, you know, we talk with our tongues and the flat of our mouth. The, the people don't know where, who that came from. Who that? Anybody know where that came from? Because people, that's what they say. They don't say that. They say that. Who is that? All right, talking the wrong place. So this guy, white guy, uh, we're talking, and he heard he heard me articulating, and he said, "Oh, nearly say say the," and I say "the," and he said, "Say t." And all of those T sounds, my tongue was in the wrong place. And he just it corrected me. Now put your tongue up behind, up behind your top teeth and say V. And every time I every time I did it and, and got on that horn and said T, man, I was nailing it, man. The guy went nuts and went down the hallway and found his other, you know, so a couple more his professors and said, now I got it. You know, placement of the tongue, you know, especially for, you know, blacks who come out of the South, we talk that way. So that was just a learning moment, you know, for me. That was a great moment for me. You know, I had been struggling trying to figure out how to, they could, my teachers had been struggling trying to get me to learn how to attack and be consistent with attacking notes. That's just an example of, you know, of how you grow through experiences. And from that point on, you know, I could solve many problems you know, with articulations in my bands, you know, because I had to understand, you know, where they are. And it's a different kid from, from New Orleans and a, and a, and a kid that grows up in, in New York. It's a whole different placement of the tongue when they talk. Sounds simple thing like that. If you want to clean your band up, you got to figure out how to get that done. Yeah, just a, just a simple thing. Yeah. Um, so the first thing I want to do is, is I want to make sure I, I, I stay on, <clears throat> I stay on code. So welcome everybody to talk that talk. We have the unfiltered, unscripted, uncomfortable conversations about band HBCU band culture, music, music, education, and more. Man, y'all go ahead and smash that like daddy right now. Smash it for the show, smash it for Dr. Sanford, everything, all the information he's given us now, man, this is, this is, truly a gem right here also please make sure you subscribe to the passengers network and turn on notifications this episode will be up on all your podcast net Dang, i didn't keep recording my you supposed to remind me um Please make sure that you subscribe to the Passioners Network and turn on notifications. This episode will be up on all your podcast networks. Just type in Talk That Talk, except for on Apple Podcasts where you can type in Real Talk That Talk. It will be up. It just will take a little longer for me to do the editing, but it will be up a lot faster. Uh, but I did not hit the record button. I am so sorry about that, but don't worry. Don't worry. We, we're going to be good. It'll be up on all, all your podcast networks. It'll still be up. But one of the things that I want to say, and we do have a question. question. Oh. Who's Maya? What do you do, Maya? You Hi. Have a 
I'm sorry. Can you can you hear me? I said, what do you do? Currently? Um, yeah. Are you a director? Oh, no, sir. No, sir. Currently, I am not doing anything music related. I work in corporate America. <laughs> but <laughs> you're like, well, what are you doing here? <laughs> but no, I watched, um, most formally, I watched in uh, Prairie View and University's band under uh, Dr. Zachary. Well, hey, that's my boy there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's wonderful for me too. Thank you. All right, carry on, Judy. All right. So, um, but yeah, so one of the things that I, I do want to say, and then we do have a guest that wants to come in and ask a question. Um, one of the things that I do want to say is, is it's first of all, it's amazing to bas basically hear some of these things that you're saying uh, because they resonate so much with me personally as an educator, as a music educator, um, just going back so far as, as just being able to admit when you are wrong on the podium. Um, I never have, well, I ain't gonna say never. When I started out, I felt like I had to be this boastful person that was just always correct. But I realized I wasn't getting me as far as I needed it to be. Um, so, you know, I, I realized that at some point I had to show my students that I was human. And sometimes I did make mistakes. Sometimes they did have to say, hey, Mr. Luke, this this doesn't look right. And I say, oh, my bad. And I I from there, I did build better connections. So that's one of the things that you said that I felt that resonated with me. And then also just the whole the thing. Uh, and, and within my last, I want to say five or six years of teaching, I started incorporating that in some of my articulation exercises for a lot of my students, because I realized that there was a, a, a point where they were missing that articulation. And they were like, Mr. Luke, I can't, con I can't connect the tonguing aspect to, you know, me moving air and br uh, getting a sound. And I say, well, just say the, and they it finally locked in for them and, and some of those kids were some of my better players and so uh, you know it's it's really interesting to hear some of these stories because they really really do uh resonate resonate with me yes brother moore i do need a checklist at some point all right uh let's go ahead and bring in uh our first guest man who wants to be able to ask a question so uh he's no stranger to the show he is definitely family right here on the passion is network so let's go ahead and bring in justin what's going on there brother yeah, we can hear you. We can hear you. Uh, I know you. I know you got a lot. So uh, you, you got one, only one. Oh, okay. I have, I have a couple, but he he answered one that was so like as he gave me perspective, but I got more to add to it. So, okay. uh, uh, Dr. Sanford, starting with the the Vandercook, you studying jazz composition. I guess my question to add to everything that you said, um, you play jazz music in the Orleans. It's like you said, the double music, right? How did your, your 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 jazz background in New Orleans help you uh, thrive in Vandercook studying jazz composition? Well, I didn't study Van, uh, jazz composition, uh, you know, at Van at Vandercook. Vandercook is uh, basically a career. Uh, if you want to be a band director back in the day, they used to say go to Vandercook so you can learn, you know, learn how to be. Uh, you know, I wasn't a, a, so much of a jazz player. Uh, you know, I was a blues player. <laughs> you know, you know, I, I, you know, I, you know, I could play blues. But you, you, you heard around, and I, I didn't grow up in New Orleans. I was in New Orleans every summer since I was 
five years old or six and my mom used to take all of us to new orleans every summer until until as they say i got managed and my aunt couldn't manage me anymore so i got in a little bit of trouble so they stopped sending me down there with my my sisters you know but uh you know i i learned uh you know my big experience with jazz and, and being able to write for big band was I became a very good friend of, of, of Thad Jones. Now I understood harmony. On the piano, I can sit down. I understand, you know, what a you know, you know, the F7 card is, uh, is, you know, with it the uh, augmented nine, and you know, and I, you know, I can I can do that, but that all comes from what? The background. So if you understand harmony, you basically, you know, if you have the technique, you can kind of basically learn how to play what? Jazz. The, the key to playing jazz and and dealing with jazz is understanding jazz harmonies. Do we understand the jazz harmonies and you learn them? You know, it's just a matter of you don't have the, the creativity to be able to use, you know, the harmonies to, you know, to improvise, you know, and 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 and, and if you can sing a scat and what have you, and you can make that happen in your horn, that's what it's all about. But my experience came with, you know, Thad Jones. Uh, when I was at Minnesota and I was, you know, going into my eighth year there, I was there nine years. That was a position that was opening up uh, at the university. Uh, for They were going to hire a jazz band uh, director of jazz studies. And I was looking for something else to venture off in. I had kind of conquered the marching band and doing really well with the symphonic band. I was, you know, good with that, but I was looking for something else to do different. And so I, I applied for a sabbatical leave to go to, to, to go to Copenhagen to the Conservatory of Music in Copenhagen and study for a semester with Thad Jones. You know the name? Yes, Thad Jones, monster, man. He made me feel, I was so ignorant when I sat with, with him next to the piano. And uh, we just kind of hooked up. Uh, you know, and just kind of liked these. I actually brought him up to the University of Minnesota to play with my jazz ensemble. And he, you know, just, just, we just kind of hooked up and became friends. And then, and then so he invited me down and university granted me the, the leave to go down there for a semester and study with him because I wanted to prepare to come back to what, to be able to apply for the job at the university, the, the jazz study job. A director of jazz study at the University of Minnesota, but I learned a whole lot. Uh, and then I found out a lot, if you know that, with his with his complex harmonies and and voicings and what have you. I found out that that uh, what I was able to bring to him was that he and I'm going back to Southern University again now. He didn't really understand what the difference between a a, a C augmented nine seven chord with the augmented nine. And we'd write it down, you know, he would write down, you know, C, G, B flat, and then he would, you know, and and and, and then E flat on the top. You know, when it was actually not E flat, the augmented nine is going to be what D sharp in harmonica is the same as E flat. So he used to get into a lot of arguments with his, his guitar players and piano players with the way he wrote the chords down because he didn't understand you know, the difference between nobody, because he's self-taught. Right. He never went to college. He never studied, you know. So everything he did was just just natural for him. So he would write C, 
uh, uh, C uh, seven with uh, with E flat on the top. And I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> and the guitar player would always say, "Man, that ain't no E flat. That's a D sharp. That's the augmented nine kind of thing, you know." And so I spent a lot of time with that, helping him understand how to do what, how to 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 uh, write the name, correct name of the the harmonies down or the chords down. So I I taught him that. Meanwhile, when I sat with him on the piano and we started writing sax solos, man, I felt like, you know, I was I was embarrassed. I didn't even know how to approach it. But I, you know, I wish I could have stayed longer with him. But going back to that, that was probably the extent of me really getting into writing. And, uh, you know, I, I uh, when I came out of that day, I actually ended up writing a couple of uh, tunes for jazz, for jazz ensemble. And so you learn, you know, it's OJT. You know, like I said, I go back to this. You know, you get out there. If I had taken that job at the university, if I had been able to get that job as as coordinator of jazz studies at the University of, of uh, Pittsburgh, I would be out there in the ocean. So I'm going to do what? I'm going to swim. I'm going to hook. You know, I'm going to hook up with jazz. Uh, uh, Thad Jones. I'm going to get Duke Ellington scores, and I'm going to study them. Any of the old cats left from the old school up there. You know that I can find down in New Orleans or St. Louis. I'm hooking up with those guys and understanding the whole bit. If I was making my living playing as a jazz musician, you do what? You lock up in the shed, you know. But I never really had a time because when I came out of uh, at the end of my sophomore year, you know, I had a son, I had a child, you know, my sophomore year in, in college, man. And you know, and it was about me trying to make some ducats, some dollars. You know, I had to put grits and grocery in the in, in the pantry, you know. And so, you know, I, you know, I got, I think a quick way for me to put myself through school and make money was playing with the blues band. So I didn't have time to, you know, you know, to, to really get into it. And my head wasn't there. I wasn't even thinking about that doing that, you know, era. And I was saying, man, you know, I wish I'd spend more time in it, but it life didn't go that way. Um, I can barely hear you. Uh, I don't know what happened with your audio, but it just completely changed. Uh, try talking again, Justin. You hear me now? Yeah, go ahead. Right, uh, we talked for a quick second at uh, Midwest Me, You, and Quine when you first were telling us about the book and you pointed to the uh, the Wall of Fame. Uh, I wanted to uh, say, could you give us a, a quick um, a quick little tip about how writing our own? I know we had a little talk about it. I think I think it's important for the people that you know it come from you yourself. You know what I'm saying? Because you, you you hit the ball in the park in like five minutes. So highlight now on tell the people you know just today. Well, basically, what I was related to when I walked through that entrance, going into the display area over there, and they had a wall of fame up there, and they had maybe three three African Americans on that wall. And uh, and uh, I, you know I I didn't and still don't understand, you know, why we don't have more up there who made contributions to music education. The number one problem is we as a people, uh, this, this is heavy stuff here, the people who are managing to get in those positions in high places, they don't reach down and get the people that are down here. They see it as what? I'm up here, I've made it, you know, and you know, and then they don't reach back and, and, and say, oh man, come on, 
I'm going to grab you up out the barrel. We'll leave each other down in the barrel. So, so my thing, what I was basically saying to the organization is this. We need to establish our own Hall of Fame of band directors. We can establish that with our HBCU organization. People don't even uh, don't have a clue as some of the great guys, you know, who are the founding fathers of our band programs. They need to be recognized. And Midwest Band Clinic can't recognize And I might say that they don't know about them, first of all. They don't care to, and the sad thing about it is many of the guys who making it instead of them, you know, uh, uh, the ones who up there need to say, hey, look, we had a great guy like Greer at Tennessee State. We had, you know, Ed Graves at Tennessee State. We had, you know, such and such a person. Russell Boone was, was you know, was a giant, you know, of a band director. And, and I mean, the list goes on and on. Thomas Lyle, Alabama A&M, and Walter Carson at the, you know, he was at North Carolina, you know, A&T. And I mean, it's just, who, who knows who Charlie, Charlie Brown is. Charlie Brown is at Shaw University. He was, he was not there anymore, but for years and years, and he struggled with that program, but always what? He always put together a good band, and those kids had good good musical experiences there. So, so what I was saying at the Midwest Band, it's, we need to put our own Hall of Fame of band directors together and not walk in there and I'm looking at the wall and I see three or four of us on there and uh, a couple of people on there, you know, are there because they what, you know, you know, I'm not going to kiss ass to be there. I want you to put me up there because what, or what I've accomplished. And, you know, in the people lives like Julian and Tim Zachary and people lives that I have, you know, that I have, uh, you know, you know, influence in some way. Some, some not all good, but, you know, influence in some ways. So that's what that was all about. The thing is that we've got to start lifting each other up, the bottom line. We've got to lift each other up. And, uh, you know, you see a brother down, don't walk on him. You know, reach down and pick him up. You know, you see if something crazy happens, you know, with band programs, you know, whether it be a hazing situation where if somebody get fired, guess what? And I see about, I hear about it. Guess what? I get on the phone and I call him. Or some crazy stuff goes down in a program because we're all human beings. We all make bad choices and bad mistakes. So we need to help each other. And, you know, any of these guys, I don't care what they got in trouble with hazing, got in trouble with, you know, sexual allegations and stuff that go down and just anything, you know, and I'm here about it. So I want to get it straight. Even if I don't even know them, I pick up the phone and find a way to call them and say, hey, man, I heard about what I have. Just want to give you some support, you know, in a kind of way. And any, and people will tell you that's who I am. And that's the way I operate. Yeah. He told us that in Midwest, I said, I got to let us speak on it. Right, that's my time, y'all. We all there. got a lot of lawless of callers. But thank you, Doc, for answering that, Doc. All right, we need to recognize all these guys. Sam Griffin at uh, you know at Alcorn State University. Nobody don't know the majority of people ain't never heard of Sam. Don't know who he is, but he influenced a whole lot of people's lives. You know, and that's what that's what we do as band directors. You know, we do that. Yeah, yeah.
All right, bro. That's all, I saw it. I, I I deal with it, uh, man. So first of all, uh, hold up. I got to get Quan back in here. Well, he's here, but uh, he had a transition. Not not transition, but he transitioned to the car. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to say that. But I do want to say this. Uh, first of all, everybody who was in the chat, everybody who's watching live, I did just put the link inside of the chat. If you want to come in and ask a question, it's also pinned to the YouTube. Uh, Malik, I saw you in. I don't know why uh, you may have left out for whatever reason, but come on back, man. We we are opening up. Uh, the 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 room is wide open. Uh, but I, I do want to say very quickly that what you said uh doc is absolutely uh very true we've got to continue to lift each other up and and what i've and 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 i know that i've had this conversation on on a, a couple of a couple of ways with a couple of different people um and what it seems to be and i want to make sure i, I make this very clear i don't I, I cannot say that i know specifics but I can tell you what it seems and or feels to be is that in a lot of times it almost feels like it's a, and I want to, I just said, it feels like it's a penis swinging contest to where everybody's trying to prove who's the bigger, who's the best, who's the baddest. And I really don't think that we are in totality uh, lifting each other up and picking each other up. And especially in this new social media area era. And we've talked about this on many occasions on this show. And just kind of like you said, when you hear something, you want to call and you want to find out and you want to realize what's going on and you want to be able to get the inside and talk to these people. And now in this social media era, what happens is something goes down and then all of a sudden it's blasted on social media. Everybody's got jokes. Everybody's talking about it. And, and I feel like it's more of the community being against each other in a, in a total sense uh, than it is working together with one another. Do you see that or, or, or is, or, or am I just kind of projecting that off of what I, I feel like I've seen, is that what you see doc or, or not? You know, you know, absolutely. And uh, you know, the bigger and better. And I think the word is, 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 uh, is louder. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's, who can play the loudest? And, uh, you know, one thing that uh, disturbs me, and, and I'm old school, uh, is that that zero quarter and that fifth quarter thing, that disturbs me. Because, you know, there's no music being played in the fifth quarter. It's no music. You can, it's no way you can have, you, 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 it's no way that you can have, you know, the chops, you know, to, you know, to play pregame and then play halftime, play through the, through the whole thing. And then at the end uh, uh, of the day, you know, you, you're going to stay in the stands and play for another hour, hour and a half. There's no music being made. So what are you doing? You know, and then in front of a few fans who run around with cameras so they can do what? They can make videos up. If you're going to play, then, you know, play and make the people pay. I saw, I saw two major bands in and in on a Friday night blowing at each other out in a in a baseball diamond for fans free they're not even paying they didn't pay 
just freak, just out there, just blowing for hours and hours at each other. And every time it was all about what? Loud and blastissimo. You know, that bothers me, but I'm old school. So that's where they are now. Then I'm out the profession in time. If that's where, that's, that's where we are and that's what we're doing, yes. And, you know, and that's it, you know, and, and guys playing and it, it, it's just, it doesn't make sense to me. You're going to show up at, you know, at a football game in, uh, an hour and a half before the game starts. <laughs> uh, I think maybe some situation has gotten, you know, gotten better, you know, with that. I've seen the people show up an hour and a half so they can get in the stadium and blow on somebody when they come in. And then after the game is over, you know, they understand and they're blowing each other for but one or uh, two hours after the game is over to see who's going to run out of tunes. You know, a situation I know about where one band ran, I was running out of tunes and sent and sent uh, a staff person back to the library to, to collect some music so he could have the most, he could, he could play some more, have some more news. That, that, that's crazy. What are we doing to our kids? Our kids that are in the program, man, you know, are struggling. You know, and I hear all the time. I just heard maybe at the Midwest Band Clan, a Clinic where, you know, freshman class in a, in a band situation, more than 50% of the kids were failing classes. Because what? Band directors are running to all these Battle of the Bands all over the place. Battle of the Band in February? Are you kidding? When is the serious side of your program is going to work? When are you going to teach the kids? You know, it's not a whole lot of teaching going on for marching band. You know, it's not a whole lot of teaching, <laughs> you know, music and concept. It's, it's not a lot of teaching. I mean, play a lot of notes. I don't really play a lot of notes. But, you know, we got the whole nose syndrome going on, the half nose syndrome <laughs> and the dotted quarter note, you know, followed by an eight note, a couple of 16 notes here and there, you know, and most of the stuff that we play is going to be one or two or three different, you know, chords. You know, eight measures, and then the tubas come in. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I'm old school, so I'm out. You know, at I'm out of it at the right time. But the people who want to, you know, want to go beyond that, you know, I, you know, I love coming to to Prairie View. You know, I, you know, I, I, I know I go, I, I come out and it, it's, I get my shot in the arm. You know, that, you know, that, that I'm missing when I go there. You know, it's just like getting shot up when I go. Every now and then, you know, play one of my arrangements in some other schools I go to, you know, and I get a chance to stand in front of the band and enjoy it, you know, and just enjoy it. Man, I miss it. Now, I miss it. You know, but I don't miss where the bands are now. You know, I don't miss what, you know, what we're doing. And I, you know, I certainly don't like the culture, you know, you know, of, People being able to say, well, that's just a black man. You know, they, they ain't worried about sounding good. They're not concerned about sounding good. All they want to do is sound loud and blast. You know, so uh, I guess that comes along with, with time. You have to know when to walk away. So I walked away, you know, at the right time for me. And now I'm just in the background, just trying to what, trying to help and be available for whoever, you know, who wants to listen. You know, and I'm, I'm I'm always happy, you know, to share experiences. And I doubt, you know, uh, you know, I've probably forgotten more experiences than most people will have in, in you know, in, in 30 years as a band director, you know, because it's, it's been a long time.
And and, and and I will say this, you know, um, there have been a lot of times what you said on this show there, uh, there have been a lot of times where we have echoed those sentiments as a panel um, on multiple occasions. And, you know, we, we'll get those people who do agree. Absolutely. But there will be a majority of people because it's not the quote, it's not in the quote unquote culture who will say, Hey, we're being quote, we're, we're trying to be white or we're trying to be different, or we're trying to go against what the culture is instead of actually saying, Hey, maybe we need to think about looking at it from a music educator's perspective. I think one of the things that, that I've talked about on this show, I think one of the things that Quan has brought up uh, back when Rick was on the show, one of the things that, that uh, was talked about is the fact that I think that sometimes, especially now that we've actually forgotten about the music educator within that space within the within the band program we have completely forgot about them we want to entertain and we want to do this but that student has to leave that university and go compete with another person from a predominantly white institution who has received a lot more tutelage than just shaking it up or just just uh cranking up on any given friday or saturday and I think that that is one of the issues that we run into. But when we say that, we're 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 bashing the culture, and I, I don't. And I know I haven't felt that way because, to be quite honest, the way that I am, I, I've I've grown up in the culture, I've seen the culture, but I also believe because I am a music educator, and because I do believe in growing my mind in, in music education and, and, and actually doing something for the kids besides just saying, well, they're here. We grad, we, we got them out of school. They're done. I actually want them to be able to compete because I know what it's, I know what it's like to step inside of that master's program at a predominantly white institution and have to sit next to those people and hear what they're talking about and hear their experiences. And so when I go and, and I sit in front of an, in, in front of kids and when I fit sit in front of students, I want to treat every student in that room. I don't care if you're a nursing major or engineer major. I don't care what you are. I'm treating everyone like they're a music education major because we can't forget about the ones that are in there. Um, so that's, that's just, just how I perceive it. Um, and, and we have on the show and a lot of people on the show. And, and what, and, uh, uh music is not white or black or blue or green or anything. Good music is good music. You know, and and it, it has to be made. It be it be played with, uh, you know, concept and and style and all of the things that we you know that we are taught that makes it you know uh, you know an art form. And uh, and uh, you know, I I know you know people say, well, you know, you we don't want to sound like this, and we don't want to sound. I'm telling you what you play what you play whatever music you want to play, but at least play it with some some kind of style and control and intonation, articulations, you know, right in, in, the, in uh, the, the, the musical instruments in the range that they were, they were, they were produced and made to play in, you know, having, you know, mellophones up on high E's and F's, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, high B, uh, E flat, E concerts and, you know, and, F and G horns up there playing, you know, on, on their instruments transposed D's and E's, that horn is out of character. First trumpet. You know, yeah, you know, well, you know, yeah, your third trumpet is in, your second trumpet, you, you can give it to your third trumpet, but, you know, that's, that's, that's still pretty high. 
But I mean, you know, just and, and kids just, uh, you know, you know, I was in an experience once where you know kids didn't didn't feel like the section leader say, "Man, you ain't bringing no blood." Kid actually had blood in his mouthpiece, and the kids were playing hard and 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 were working to bleed. You know what I'm saying? I'm you know I'm saying, "Oh my God, are you serious?" <laughs> you know. Kids actually mouthpieces have blood inside because they're doing what? They're yanking the horns down and this and all of that kind of stuff into, into that. I mean, it's, you know, it's good. I mean, it, it ain't nothing like for entertainment, for HBCU bands. You know, they come on the field and they bring that energy. You know, and I love that part of it. You know, that bring, they bring that in some of them. They, you know, they're going to bring the energy to it. And they go, sure, you're playing to your audience. you got to play the music that... You know, you don't go to Southern University and play a polka. You know, that's that, you know, you know, you, you play a blues, you know, you play rhythm and blues and you play rap, you know, and all that, but it still has to be played with good music, musical quality. And then, you know, that's the concern. And I hope that we can, and that's why our organization in Atlanta, man, we try to get the guys around the table. I don't know if we're doing any good or not with that, but I do know one thing, the the performances of uh, the emerging of, of, of concert and symphonic bands is happening in our schools. We're getting more schools with that. We've had many schools to come and showcase, you know, the concert side of the program. But you can't do it if you, if, you know, if you if you run into a Honda Battle of the Bands in January or February, you're doing one of those events, you can, you can wreck your kids. So you start your kids at the beginning of August and you go to what a grueling football season and they go home and they come back, you know, and then they, you know, on occasion, like what Patel did at Norfolk State, you know, he couldn't do that every year. You know, the kids didn't have no time, you know, to rest and relax. You know, and hopefully I'm sure that they, you know, on top of them with their grades and all of that kind of stuff and what they're really there for is to go to school and not, not major in band. Uh, you know, if you're an engineering major, you know, you play in the band, but, you know, that's not your major. The second semester, you know, hey, going out there and let all these uh, uh, promoters uh, get them to come to these events, guess what? When they suit up Southern University band, you know, and put all them instruments and uniforms in their hands and what it takes to operate that program, they talk, they're looking at four or five million dollars. And then you're going to put those kids, uh, take your band with that kind of money and put them on a bus and go and go on a bus up to Atlanta and play an event up there and let let Honda make tons of money and they give you $10,000. You understand what I'm saying? You know, so we don't come together. We don't need Honda to do Battle of the Bands. We have the product. You know, you understand? So we didn't need and we tried to to, for, when they first started this Honda Battle of the Bands back in the day, my thing was, you know, look, guys, we need to organize. Let's do our own, you know, Battle of the Band. Let's set it up, you know, in the various the three or four different, uh, you know, districts, you know, upper division, middle, south, whatever. And, it's, and, and uh, let's do it. Let's make all of the money. You know, no, nobody want to do it, you know. Uh, look, let's have judges at the at at the the battle of the bands uh, in the stands, not to even grade the bands, 
but just to be able to, to, to send a sheet home with a band director and say, well, you can clean up on your articulations, you know, a little bit, you know, you're having a problem with this particular technique, you need to work on this marching technique here, something to give you, make, bring the educational aspect of it. See, there's no educational value in what we're doing. You know what I'm saying? What you know, most of our bands doing. All it's about is is, is showmanship. You know, and they're not getting any feedback. And you know, ten thousand dollars. One thing about Dr. Myers at, at Norfolk State when we when we started going down there, she said, "I ain't trying to make no ten thousand. I want you go. You want to go take the kids down there, but spend that ten thousand on the kids and make sure that they they have a good time doing that. You know, you're not doing it for, for the money. Spend it on them. Give them an extra." you know, $25 or $30 for, you know, you know, for a meal stipend, you know. I mean, if you've got an administrator like that, you can, you know, you can understand. The ride a bus all the way to Houston, Texas, from Charlotte, North Carolina, to play in a battle of the bands, you know, and you get $10,000, does that make sense? <laughs> and you and you dress your band out and you're looking at $3 million, does that make sense? And the promoter of the organization walk away with 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 the million, because he's already got what all the sponsors. You see the lights, you know Coca Cola, you know on and on and on, all kinds of sponsors. So what are the sponsors doing? They buying the food, so the, the promoter doesn't have to buy the food. They you know you got people that's you know donating money for what, you know for transportation. I mean you know we we don't think, you know, so you know we do it for ten thousand dollars. I think they made they, some of them. They're now getting fifteen or twenty thousand dollars, but that's no money. When you dress your band out, your band. When you dress your band out, and you're looking at three million dollars. Uh -uh, no, it don't make sense. But anyway, I don't get off on that. You know, I, I like I said, I'm old school, and you know, I'm history, and uh, you know, I'm available for anybody that want to listen. You know, I love to talk. And yeah, and on this session, and uh, any more questions out there? Well, I will um, say this, um, you know, I, I make sure I put on, I put the link inside of the chat just to make sure that anybody else who had a question can come on in. Uh, I, I will say this, Doc, um, 20, I think it was 2013, 2012-2013, um, HBCU Band Directors Consortium when I was with uh, Prairie View at the time. Um, me and Rick were in the director's meeting. And when we were in there, um, it was a slew of directors from a lot of universities. And what is this? This is 2023, about 10 years ago. Wow, it's crazy. Um, but Doc literally, because the guy from, uh, I think it was Honda, was there. And Doc literally walked into the room. He stood up. And he said the exact same thing he just said. Um, and all I can remember, and Doc, correct me if I'm wrong, because if I'm wrong, now please correct me. Sitting back, listening to that, because I'm for it. I was always for it. Y'all heard us say it on the show multiple occasions. All I could remember was multiple directors giving reasons as to why there should not be an adjudication. And it just kept, it, the, the cycle kept going as to 
well, because X, Y, and Z, and because X, Y, and Z, and because X, Y, and Z. And Doc was like, well, this doesn't make any sense. Like, why are we doing this to ourselves? And everybody just kept finding excuses. And and for me, oh, go ahead. They basically didn't want it. They didn't want to put it on. They didn't want to put the stuff on the line. I said, okay, you know, we don't. I was saying, let's let's put first, second, third, fourth, fifth, ninth place or whatever. You know, put your stuff out there on the line. But you know, they they wouldn't do it. And and you'd be surprised at the bands who the band directors who didn't. Some of the bands, band directors who got some of the better bands didn't want a chance. It. You know, at the, fight, the first time, hey, we were gonna throw a Spartan, Spartan Legion in 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 hat. You know, and then. We go this year. Next time we come back, we know what we need to do, you know, to get it right. You know, so nobody wanted to do it. No one wanted to do it. And I pushed that and pushed it. And because I'm not a favorite person of Honda, because they know I don't, I don't, you know, I, I don't do that. I'll never be recognized, you know, at Honda, at a Honda Battle of the Band. Because they know who I am and what I think, you know, and I, and I, care, I, I care less about that. You know, I care about our young people and, you know, our students and our young directors. And I tried to guide them. I don't say don't go, but, you know, just say, y'all, y'all, why can't we come together and say, okay, we're going to, we're going to come to Houston. We're going to come to the battle. But and then why can't we get together and say, every band needs to make $40,000, you know, $40,000, 10 bands. You ain't talking about a whole lot of money. You know, $400,000, that ain't no money. You know, from what they're making and 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 all of the sponsorships that they have, Honda selling cars. You know, you're not really helping us. We you know we we are happy to help. Uh, you know, our HBCU band programs. You're not helping HBCU band programs. You what? You 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 know you're writing it off. You know the event anyway. <laughs> you know, and you're writing it off and calling it a contribution. It ain't no contribution. You're making money. You're selling cars. You know, but you know, some reason or other we can't, you know, we're so busy and we can't we can't think and understand that we have the product. We have the product. So we need to be able to say something about how something goes. You know, you own the product and you can't say nothing and you're not getting paid. Come on. It doesn't make sense. So I'm not for all of them in the battle of the bad things, you know. I'm going to one this something's happening in in, uh, in Atlanta this week, and I don't even know what it is. All I know is I'm, you know, I'm going, and because the company, you know, is, is sending me there, you know, and we, you know, they're sponsoring, you know, we got some good companies. Consultant is a good company. They, 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 they step up to the plate, and uh, financially, and you know, help our programs, our organizations, and uh, and a lot of the events that are going on, they there, you know, so they there's there's some consideration and. And, you know, and, um, you know, for what, and uh, being in Bob's, you know, you know, with the programs. Yeah. Yeah. So, any more questions? If not, then I'm going to shut down. <laughs> and uh, I've got some guests in my house. Okay. okay. Well, yeah. well, let's do it this way. Um, I know that I made sure that I made it very, very known that the the link was in there. Um, guys, if you, if you weren't able to come in, um, uh, matter of fact, I will give you about the next two minutes because we have been on, we are, we hit the two hour mark, man. So doc hung with us for the full two hours, man. You know, last time he was with us, he was like, I'm in 20 minutes and I gotta go, but he, but he hung with us, uh, this whole two hours. So, so 
I, I truly appreciate it. Um, this has been super great. Um, the information that we have gotten from Doc is just, these are just jewels that we can all take and carry with us. Um, please, for the love of God, please, please. Uh, and I don't, and I, I, I kind of don't want to forget about the whole reason why he was on here in the first place. You got to go pick up his memoir, A Maestro and Trailblazer from Slaughter. Uh, you can pick that up on Amazon.com. Uh, pick it up read it, get the information, learn something from it. Uh, and, and, you know, he, he's very honest when he says you can, you can reach out to him. Uh, there are multiple times where I have called doc. There are multiple times where I've emailed doc, uh, and, and he will talk to you. He'll help you out. He'll do, uh, whatever it is that you need. I also want to make sure that I put it out there because it, it was, uh, mentioned earlier. Uh, and I, and I want to make sure that I say it or I get it right. The uh, HBCU Band Directors uh, Consortium, the next convention is March 29th, uh, between March 29th and April 2nd. Uh, so please make sure you guys go out and support that. Uh, it's very great that we support the Midwest Clinic. It's good that we support all of these statewide clinics, but also support our clinic. Um, and so again, that, the, that HBCU Band Directors Consortium, that is March 29th. Uh, between March 29th and April 2nd. So I want to make sure that I do put that out there. Um, I'll go ahead. And then there's a type of membership for it. doesn't matter. You don't have to be a college band director. You know, you can come in and, you know, join in and, and uh, you know, send you have the opportunity to send in, you know, subject matters and things that you want to, you know, to do. Let's discuss and, you know, panel uh, discussions. You can be on that. So we just have to talk. You know, we just have to talk and share. Well, Doc, I want to say this. Uh, I'm I'm throwing my hat in the ring. Uh, I would love for our show to be able to do a live show if we can as a panel on uh, at the HBCU Consortium. Uh, I think the conversations that we have, the conversations that we had today, the conversations that we've had in the past, um, coming from younger voices, people who are who are or have been in the profession, uh, people who are in there now, who have seen it, who have been through it. I think those conversations are great coming from us because one of the things that you continuously harp back on is you old school. But I think a lot of those old school ideals need to continuously be moving throughout uh, our art form and throughout music education and what we do. And so I think it's very great. And it would be very great that if we had us uh, there be a, being able to not only have the conversation with those directors in the room, but those students in the room who are music educators and who are future music educators who can get some insight on what's happening, can get inspired to, to, to do the next thing and to go to the next level. So I'm throwing my hat in the ring uh, for, for, for the show. I think so, man. I, think so i mean uh let's talk in the future and then we'd, uh, we we'll invite you in on a zoom call uh you know with the executive board of directors and see can we find a slot uh, maybe you know, and come up and and you know set up a room set up in a room and uh you know just grab kids by the arm and you know the, how you enjoying yourself you know and any recommendations on how we can improve this you know i mean i think it's a great idea it's an excellent idea Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I don't, uh, I don't want to hold doc any longer. Uh, cause I know he has to go. He's yawning right now. So he said it, it's, it's tight. <laughs> I got to shut it down, <laughs> but, uh, I've got guests in the house. So, you know, I wanted, I told him I'd be about an hour. So we in the two hours and I want to get them sure they've already eaten dinner now. So I'll go in and join them 
and uh, and uh, get a glass of Crown and kick back. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right, uh, all right man. All right. all right. So we'll let you go, Doc. Man, it has been great. We love you, and we will see you see you next time. All right, then. Thank you. No, all thank right. you. Okay. All right. Bye. Man, this has been super dope. It's been super amazing. Um, you know, I, I I cannot say enough how insightful that was. Um, just to have Doc on the show. Remember, he he is my director, and, and you know, sometimes you just kind of sit back and you just see your director as the director and the student. Uh, there have been many conversations we have had since you know me graduating and me being at PV. But I want to say that this is probably the most insightful that uh, that I've ever uh, received from him, the most insight. So I just want to give it up one time for Dr. Sanford. This has been super, super, super dope. Um, if you if you all didn't get a chance to come in, it is OK. Um, it is what it is. But be, because of the information that he got, I'm pretty or gave. I'm pretty sure he answered your question before you could even ask it, because I had a list of questions ready and he answered them, you know, right, right off the bat. So once again, man, I appreciate Dr. Sanford for coming in, man. This is super dope. I appreciate all of you guys for, for hanging out with us for the uh, the last two hours, man. Please make sure you subscribe to the Passion is Network. Turn on notifications, man. Also, please make sure if you are in here right now, go ahead and click that like button, man. Don't even wait on it. Uh, I want to get ready to close out like we always do. Uh, so I don't know. Quan, you still there? I know I see your picture. I'm here, bro. Oh, okay. I'm just, I'm just, boys are just listening to the knowledge, man. When you got wisdom, you be quiet. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. And, and and usually, and I ain't trying to be funny, usually you turn the camera on when you're in the car. So I didn't know if you were still there, if you were transitioning from the car to the house. So uh, that's, that's why I had to ask. All right. So let's go ahead and close this thing out. Maya, any final thoughts, anything you got for the culture? That was awesome. That was amazing. You know, it's always those unexpected drops of knowledge that, that, that speak the most value. So I'm like, I mean, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. Like who has that opportunity more times than not? Not a lot of people. So to be able to just be in the room, I can go to bed happy now. I can sleep good now. She is inspired. Look at her with her Invisalign. She is inspired right now. Look at God. Bro, this Invisalign is terrible. It's not truly terrible, but. I know this is random, but why that over, over regular braces? So, okay. I've done braces before. And I don't know. It was just kind of like, it was really an uh, spare of the moment type of thing. I was like, I'm just going to do it. So really, Sophie, the culprit, uh, chewed up my retainer. Um, and yeah, that it was just a spare of the moment. And I was just like, well, I've done retainers before, so I might as well, as opposed to walking around with braces in my mouth. So Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. All right. Quan, uh, any final thoughts? Anything you got for the culture? Well, I mean, as Maya said, you know, I'm truly inspired as well, but I was asking those specific questions because you and I, we've had conversations and for all the band directors that teach in urban areas, sometimes it can be very discouraging, you know, to say the least on uh, being a band director overall. It, It can be very, you know, disheartening because sometimes the product uh, the work that you're putting in, sometimes you don't see the product. And I know we've had discussions on here, basically stating, you know, there's no band, you know, bad band directors and so forth and so on, which I, you know, I understand that portion. 
But we also have to take into consideration and tell the truth. Sometimes there's just bad situations. So sometimes because it's bad situations, you don't get the product that you want all the time. And sometimes, you know, that plagues with you, that plagues with, you know, uh, you as a person. And so I was asking those questions specifically because there are times when I question myself. But if a great band director who's accomplished the things that he's accomplished basically said, bro, I have my human moments. And even in the midst of my human moments, I still go ahead and, and do what I feel like that I'm called to do. So, I mean, I just feel like that's my story, you know, as well. The only difference is he's he's a little bit older and I'm a little bit younger, but the results will still be the same. Absolutely, bro. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that I will definitely say, so first of all, I want to once again, say again, that this was super dope, uh, from top to bottom. It was great to have him on. It's always great for me to converse with him anyway, but to be able to get this insight from him has just been super dope to be able to, uh, hear the stories that he has, has, has in, in his, in his mental capacity, I think is super dope. Also, please make sure you guys go pick up the book, A Maestro and Trailblazer from Slaughter, his memoirs. I know I have mine on the way and I'm definitely going to crack it open and make sure I read it from cover to cover. Uh, that's something I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to. But the other half of that is I found it very, very interesting, man, um, just to hear some of the things that he had to say that kind of paralleled some of the things that I truly believe in and some of the things that I have tried um, that have worked for me and that have been successful. So it lets me know that uh, me as an educator or, is in good company, man. I've always or, or, or many times I've, you know, talk to professors and, and talk to directors and have found that, you know, a lot of the things that they have done, I have done in practice by accident uh, and it's worked for me. And so it really makes me feel good to know that, you know, the way that I approach what I do is on the right track of some of the greats, man. So uh, once again, man, shout out to Dr. Sanford, man. He's, this has been a true joy, uh, a true blessing. And, and, and I wouldn't, uh, trade it for anything, man. So I thank everybody for joining us tonight, man. If you're going to watch it on playback, you can go ahead and cl uh, click that like button while you're watching on playback. Before you leave out of here, make sure you click that like button before you leave out of here. Subscribe to the Passengers Network and turn on your notifications. Yes, Blastissimo, he has used that terminology ever since I was an undergrad and it has not changed. Uh, but yeah, man, this has been a super great episode, a super dope episode. I appreciate all of you guys for joining us and we will see you all next week. Thank you for tuning in to Talk That Talk. Find us on social media outlets and YouTube at Real Talk That Talk. Talk That Talk is a brand of the Passion Is Network. You can contact Passion Is at passionis1919 at gmail.com. If you would like to contact the panel of Talk That Talk, email us at realtalkthattalk at gmail.com.